So welcome to the IFA podcast on World Phosphate Rock Resources and Reserves. My name is Patrick Effer. I am the Deputy Director General of the International Fertilizer Association. Let me start by providing a quick background on phosphorus and phosphate rock and why we decided to carry out this study. Together with nitrogen and potassium, phosphorus is one of the three macronutrients used in largest quantities by plants, and it has no substitutes. Hence, it is essential for food production. Phosphate rock is used as the main raw material to produce phosphate fertilizers, an important source of phosphorus for productive and healthy crops. It is also used to manufacture feed additives and some industrial products, including the fast-rising market of lithium iron phosphate batteries for electric vehicles. The most popular phosphate fertilizers derived from phosphate rock include ammonium phosphates, superphosphates, and compound NPK fertilizers. In 2020, world phosphate fertilizer consumption was estimated at about 49 million tons P205. Similar to any raw material, a key component of sustainable phosphorus management is properly understanding the status of world phosphate rock deposits. The previous most comprehensive assessment on the topic was a report on world phosphate rock reserves and resources published by the International Fertilizer Development Center in 2010. In their report, they concluded that reserves of phosphate rock suitable for processing into phosphate derivatives would last hundreds of years. Two years ago, the International Fertilizer Association and its members felt that more than 10 years later, an update to this study was necessary. And we commissioned Argus Consulting Services to perform that assessment based on best available data and using a robust methodology. So to, di to discuss uh, this topic, I am delighted to have Matt Lisley with me. Matt is manager in the fertilizer team at Argus Consulting Services. In this capacity, he conducts research and modeling within the fertilizer project teams across all the main nutrients, including phosphorus. He has delivered projects for some of the largest companies worldwide, typically involving fundamental supply-demand analysis, price forecasting, and strategic recommendations. So Matt, thank you for being with us today. And let me start with a question about definitions. To avoid any ambiguity, how do you define the following terms which are used in that study? So resources, reserve base, and reserves. Great, and thanks for having me today, Patrick. So that's a really interesting question and something that appears throughout the literature is an inconsistent application. Uh, of these terms. So when we were thinking about assessing long-term availability, we decided that we wanted to primarily use government-style inventory classifications rather than uh, solely relying on those used in uh, financial reporting, which are focused on investment timescales and don't appropriately handle deposits which at the present day are uneconomic. So, 
uh, in our study, we applied uh, the United States Geological Survey definitions. So the resources were the total reported accumulation of phosphate where economic extraction is currently or potentially feasible. So this can be seen as the theoretical measure of whether enough P205 exists on Earth. The reserve base then is the subset of that resource, which, meet, which meets the minimum physical and chemical characteristics uh, for current mining and processing techniques. And then of that reserve base, the reserves are the portion which could be economically extracted at the time of determination. To avoid ambiguity throughout the report as well, we referred to reserves as economic reserves, just to make that distinction even clearer. And it's this economic component and the dynamic nature of these reserves, uh, which means they're a less suitable metric for determining long-term availability. And this is why in our study, we really focused on reserve base and resources was a much more stable metrics when we're thinking about the long term. Thank you, uh, Matt, for clarifying these, uh, these terms, and that's very important. Now, could you please explain how uh, you have done this assessment? Certainly. So we approached this from two main directions. Firstly, what was available in the public domain? So we looked at national statistics, local industry associations, company reports, industry publications, uh, as well as the academic literature. And then secondly, there was a survey of phosphate rock producers, which we conducted jointly with EFA over the summer of 2022. Uh, and this really helped inform and calibrate that, um, that public domain information as well. Now, what we don't often see in the literature is an acknowledgement of the inherent uncertainty within a lot of these estimates. So in our study, we included low, high and base estimates for each quantity. And that's really to reflect the geological uncertainty uh, of how much is actually within the ground. And without entering the details, what is the level of phosphate rock resources we are talking about globally, according to your estimate? So in our study, we identified a base estimate of 352 billion tonnes or gigatons of in situ phosphate rock containing 65 billion tonnes of P205. These numbers are for the in situ resource. So this represents the mass of rock in the ground. And around half of this resource we believe to be technically recoverable using existing technologies. And when looking at uh, resources, an interesting indicator is the estimated lifespan. So what is a projected lifespan for technically recoverable uh, phosphate? So when we're talking about technically recoverable phosphate, we're really talking about the reserve base. So how long could that last for? Well, if we depleted the reserve base at current rates, our base estimate would be around 500 years or so. But in all likelihood, demand and therefore production will increase into the future. 
and therefore our central estimate and finding from the study is around 350 years or so. I mentioned geological uncertainty earlier, but we also have a degree of uncertainty in how the demand for phosphate will grow in the outlook period. So for this, we used long-term demand projections from EFA to see how demand from cropland could evolve under different scenarios. So then by combining our lower estimate of, of reserve base, taking into account the geological uncertainty, with a demand projection, which assumes low nutrient use efficiency, we calculated a low case lifespan at closer to 200 years. And similarly, taking the high estimate for reserve base with a high efficiency demand scenario, we get close to 500 years or so. It's worth stressing, I think, that in these lifespan estimates, we assume no advancement in mining and processing technologies. Uh, and therefore, these lifespans are actually all effectively uh, lower estimates. Um, we've also excluded speculative deposits, which are known to exist, but at the moment are too uncertain. Um, and also, there's, of course, this unknowable quantity, so the geopotential or the geocapacity, which are the deposits that we don't even know of yet and therefore uh, are inherently unquantifiable. Uh, talking about uh, the mining and processing uh, technologies, what is the potential of uh, emerging technologies to increase the lifespan of the deposits? That's an interesting one. So in the study, we looked at two main technologies uh, which allow for the processing of much lower grade phosphate rock than traditionally used. So we looked at the hydrochloric acid process uh, and also the improved hard process. Um, these allow for processing of sedimentary rock down to as low as even 5% P2O5. And these technologies, what they allow to effectively happen is to move low grade resources into that reserve base. In our analysis, we found that the use of these technologies would increase the lifespan of the reserve base by around 10 years. But the key caveat here is that when compared to our depletion estimates using traditional technologies, these extra years are all being applied at the terminal demand levels, which are much higher than today's rates. And secondly, I think it's worth highlighting that in reality, the impact of such technologies is likely to be much greater than we're able to quantify in this study. What we'll see is that actually these technologies will reduce the cutoff grades used to calculate resources. and Actually, it will allow for much higher availability in the long term. So previously, you referred to the demand side. Uh, as far as demand is concerned, can we expect... Uh, major changes by 2050 in the phosphate rock demand. Can we expect some disruptors? So, as I mentioned previously, we used EFA's long-term cropland demand projections in the core analysis. But for completeness, we also ran scenarios looking at the impact for battery uses. So for context, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of interest currently around lithium-ion phosphate 
batteries known as LFPs uh, for use in uh, electric vehicles and also energy storage infrastructure. I think it's important to highlight at this stage though that given the rapid rate of advancement of battery technology, uh, there is a strong chance that novel battery chemistries will displace the current favourites in the ultra-long time horizons that we're looking at, and that this is both for vehicles and stationary storage. So I think it's, it's worth pointing out that in the long term, agricultural uses are projected to remain the largest component of phosphate demand going forward. And coming back to phosphate rock resources, previously you referred to geopotential and uh, let's say non-confirmed resources. Are there large deposits that have not been taken into account in the study and why haven't they been taken into account? So there are a handful of notable deposits, I think, are worth mentioning that weren't included in the later depletion analysis. Um, either we classified them as speculative resources or actually we excluded them entirely. Firstly, there's Morocco. Morocco contains the largest phosphate deposits globally and current exploration efforts have already identified more than enough phosphate rock for the foreseeable future. However, given that the country is known to be underlain by significant volumes of rock and that around half of the land area is known to be explored, then actually there, there is in all likelihood an additional 100 to 200 billion tonnes uh, within the country itself. Secondly, and what made the, the headlines uh, over recent years is the 70 billion tonne resource within Norway. And this is down to around 1,500 metres depth. While this might sound like a lot, it's worth clarifying that this is an igneous deposit uh, with a likely phosphate content of only a few percent. The majority of this deposit we've classed as speculative in our, in our report and not used in the depletion analysis, but we do include more advanced exploration targets within the complex. So the headline 70 billion number isn't used within uh, the, the core study, but there are more advanced portions uh, of that deposit, which we have included. And finally, I think it's worth mentioning the deep portion of the US Western phosphate field. This has been estimated by uh, other authors historically to contain around 500 billion tonnes of sedimentary phosphate rock. Um, the majority of this lies at depths greater than 1,500 metres. So while it's worth noting, um, it, we would not expect it to be exploited anytime soon. So and from your assessment, I understand there is clearly no risk of running out of phosphate in the centuries to come. But does it mean that we, we don't have to care about how we manage phosphate rock? To be clear, what we have been able to show is that technically and globally, there is enough phosphate rock to sustain the world's agricultural system for the foreseeable future. But this should not be seen as a license to operate with impunity, and we need to harness sustainability wherever possible. So how do we do this? 
Well, at the producer level, we need to strive to reduce processing losses wherever possible and continue to make strides in lowering the carbon emissions from the production of phosphate rock and downstream phosphate fertilisers. Moving to the farm level, we need to increase nutrient use efficiency. Simply put, we need to make sure the majority of the phosphate nutrient applied to the soil is actually used by the crop. And finally, we need to make sure that appropriate value is placed on phosphate-rich waste streams so that we can recover and recycle these nutrients wherever possible. For example, from biogas units or wastewater treatment plants. In fact, if we do all of this, then we actually increase the lifespan of the traditional deposits even further. So it is now time to conclude this very inspiring podcast. A big thank you to you, Matt, for having shared with us the key messages arising from these recent assessment of world phosphate resources and reserves. Quick message to the listeners. Uh, if you are interested in more details on the topic, you are invited to download the report, which is publicly available on the IFA website at www.fertilizer.org. I look forward to having you with us for future IFA podcasts. Thank you. <laughs>